0: welcome to your pathways to wealth where charlie massimo and peter anastasian are on a mission to bring clarity to the world of finances together they bring a wealth of knowledge to help you uncover a way to simplify your financial life join charlie and peter and their guest experts as they venture to help you preserve what you've built and enjoy what you've earned now let's talk wealth
1: social security it can be a love or hate thing because there never seems to be one right answer Charlie Massimo and Peter Anastasian have a guest today who can tackle social security questions with insight and experience Charlie tell us about David Freitag
2: Thanks Patrice we're uh, really excited to have our guest with us today and you know Peter and I like to call David our secret weapon you know probably social security is one of the most confusing things out there for so many people. It's one of the biggest questions we get from our clients, regardless of their level of wealth, where they are in life. It's one of those things, they feel like it's a puzzle they can never solve. And that's why we're so fortunate to have David Freitag. David Freitag's been part of our extended team for many years. We've worked with so many clients and trying to figure out the social security puzzle. And, and I could say David is absolutely one of the top experts in the field of figuring out social security, understanding social security, and helping our clients work through the maze. And David holds a Chartered Life Underwriter, Chartered Financial Consultant, Chartered Retirement Planning Consultant. I don't know if he can fit any more letters on his card. And he also holds a Master of Education and bachelor's of Science from University of Maryland and currently is a financial planning consultant in the Advanced Concept Design Group at Mass Mutual. So, David, we're so happy to have you with us. Thanks for uh, spending some time.
3: But, Charlie, I appreciate the invitation more than I can tell you. You know, this is a confusing topic, and and it's interesting because it's, it's like that alarm that your mother had next to the stove. Do you remember that thing you would wind up and then it would bell would ring when it was time to finish cooking something or an iPhone where you push the start button. Social security is just like that because when that alarm goes off and that happens at one year, uh, it's very difficult to make a change. So I love the opportunity to talk about these issues so you don't go 18 months into the process and go... "Mm." gosh i've just known about that i might have done a little bit differently and we've done that with your clients we've we've helped them make sure they didn't make that tragic mistake
2: yeah that's so right and it's been so valuable some of the greatest feedback we get from our clients is the meetings that they have with you and and that really makes us look good so so thank you <laughs> uh, but before we start we want to talk about some myths and some planning concepts and and certainly tap into your expertise but just just give a real brief background on social security because i love the way sometimes how you introduce social security to our clients
3: well i i think i've I used it, the analogy already i th- When I was, uh, you know, at a certain point in time when the Rubik's Cube was a very popular thing, that was one of the most frustrating puzzles I think I ever used because you'd move one square and you'd move another square and then all of a sudden it would get jumbled up and you couldn't put it back together again. And in a lot of ways, I think Social Security is that Rubik's Cube of financial planning uh, where you move a square, you move another square. And so, wait a minute, where are we from here? so charlie you and peter and i together with clients have worked on a software tool together that helps uh, put it all together but you mentioned myths and i hear this this is probably the elephant in the room question that comes in every engagement with a client and if it's not verbalized initially it's always in the back of people's minds is it hey dave is it gonna be there charlie have you ever heard that question before
2: (laughs) Not only have I heard it, I go to sleep with that thought. I'm getting, I'm yeah. close, I'm close to that age, so I'm yeah. absolutely thinking about it.
3: So, so let's put every fear away. I, there's so many articles on Social Security these days, and it's sort of the headline grabbing. Social Security is growing broke in 2033, 2034, and then when you get into the weeds and you read the details, then that's when the truth begins to emerge. That well, it's really not going to be broke but it might require a reduction in payments. There is enough with zero change to the current legislation in 2033, maybe it's 2034, to pay about 80% of the promised benefit. And you can say, well, wow, that isn't a good idea. That really could be a problem. But we've been there before. Uh, In 1980, 1981, we had Ronald Reagan sitting there and. The White House on Pennsylvania Boulevard and up at the other end of the street, Tip O'Neill was in the Speaker's chair in the House of Representatives. Those two folks recognized that Social Security is the biggest single item in the entire federal budget. It's bigger than defense. In fact, if you put Social Security and Medicare together, you're looking at half of the federal budget, or a little bit more than that, actually. And that can't be ignored by our friends and our policymakers in Washington. That was the problem in 1980, 1981. They appointed uh, uh, they appointed a very smart person to head a bipartisan commission. That was Alan Greenspan, at the time was a consultant there on 16th Street, and they put this bipartisan commission together, and they came up with the structure that we live with today. That is basically the foundation around which Social Security is being funded, and they did that by looking at alternatives both on the Revenue side and on the benefits side. And it's my belief that that's going to happen again, that the leaders will get to the point where they recognize the importance of this situation and say, we've really got to come up with a good solution. And it will be on the revenue side and on the benefit side itself. It could be that the 6.2% that we currently pay in the form of payroll tax matched by the employer Up to the Social Security wage base. And by the way, Charlie, I don't know if you noticed that the Social Security wage base just went up uh, for 2024 to the number is 168,600. So that's a pretty interesting number because I think that number is going to be increased when we get to this ultimate solution is what's going to be there. So that's going to go up maybe to 6.2%. We could see a little increase. But from this particular talk today, if you're my son or my daughter, Charlie, not so much you, uh, and I don't think Peter either, but there's going to be a definitional change in full retirement that's, I think, going to be built into the solution. My full retirement age is 66. Most people born from 1960 or later, their full retirement age is going to be 67. I can see that number going to 68, 69, or even 70 for younger people in the workforce, which will do an enormous amount to restore the funding misbalance. But we have to walk away from this discussion with the feeling that for people in their 50s, middle 50s, 60s, the rules aren't gonna change. The ones that are gonna change will be the younger workers. And at the end of the day, it's not a huge issue because they have enough time to adjust to those rules. We're interestingly enough, right now, 2024, in that transition period for the rules that changed in 1983. So it takes a long time to work through these sorts of policy changes into a program as big as Social Security. And that's exactly I think what's going to happen. So the good news Charlie, not to worry. I think you're going to be okay. Yeah.
2: Although I would say, and David, tell me what you think. Probably for my dad, social security was a major part of his retirement plan. So even though social security may not go away, a lot of times people may be under the misconception that social security will be a major source of their retirement income. So how do you feel about that with these changes occurring and how that plays into the planning that you do with people when it comes to social security?
3: Well, that, that's a great point. I the classic example is the three leg milk stool. Not that we have milk stools these days, uh, but the idea was to hold that stool up, you have a Social Security government sponsored program. You have what the company does through company benefits, and then you have what you do with individual initiative. The reality is Social Security will be one of those legs on that three legged stool. A company benefits in the form of 401k plans and IRA-type contributions could be another leg. But, you know, the power leg here ultimately is going to be that individual leg. Uh, And those have to be balanced. You know, I, I use this metaphor all the time, that retirement income planning is a set of interconnected gears. When you turn the Social Security knob, that's going to affect the government benefit knob, which might affect the individual savings knob. And Charlie, as you know, uh, when we do this with your clients, we like to show the relationship between those interconnected gears so that when you take an assumption about Social Security, what does that mean for individual initiative? What does that mean for dependence on corporate benefits? It's all part of that big cake mix where you have to look at that not as a one-off, but really as a combination of, of moving parts that one affects the other. And and yes, is social security a major source? For the higher income people, no. Uh, it's not going to be a major source, but it'll be significant. Now, I, I was working with one of your clients, you might remember this just recently, where their combined payout, husband and wife, very successful, uh, was approaching at their full retirement age a little over $80,000 a year. That with inflation would push that number to in excess of $100,000 a year. So, Charlie, you tell me: if you had to capitalize, and you had to come up with a cash flow that would represent hundred thousand dollars a year, is that a big capital number? Absolutely,
2: it is. You'd have to okay. generate. You'd have to have you know a few million in, in yeah dollars in fact, to generate that. Yep,
3: and, and the fact that it's interest adjusted mm-hmm. uh, is is even more uh, impressive. Let's just talk about that. Well, that's one of the questions, the myths that we have. You know, is is how does it relate to uh, inflation? Uh, you know, last year the Social Security inflation adjustment, and I almost fell off my chair. That was actually two years ago. It was at five point nine percent, two thousand twenty-three, eight point seven. The announced increase for two thousand and twenty-four is three point two. That. That combination of benefits is an increase of over 17% in three years. And again, you put that factor on top of this capital equivalency to generate that kind of income. And even if you are a very successful person, you're going to be looking at a a very large capital value. You know, I use this analogy all the time with seminars we've done together. Uh, If I ambled into your living room, and in a suitcase had, I don't know, a little less than $2 million in the suitcase, (laughs) would we casually just put it over in the corner and enjoy a cup of coffee together? Probably not. You know, I think we would say, well, what are we going to do with that $2 million? It's not an insignificant number. And that's why these types of discussions are so important because in most cases, one of the top three sources of income in retirement for lots of people Might not be social security but might certainly be in the top three
1: dave to that that point you did mention that um social security can make a big part of one's retirement and for others maybe not so much Mm -hmm. what steps should they be taking prior to claiming to ensure that they're actually getting the proper amount they're actually entitled to right
3: that peter exactly what we're doing with clients every day all over the country We take a look at the variables. We take a look at A, their amount of benefit projected at full retirement age, and that you can get from the social security website, ssa.gov. Sign up for my account, get the full report. That's the starting point. Then the next thing we have to think about, and this one's hard because nobody really knows the answer, is how how does longevity factor into this? I call it the secret sauce in social security planning. Uh, In my case, my mother died at 95, my father at 92. In my wife's case, we lost her mother at 75, her sister at 72. Everybody's going to be a little bit different, but that's a huge driver that we have to take a look at in the planning process. And then we sort of want to see, well, are you still working or not? Because Social Security has a couple of hurdles they put in front of people taking benefits early. And one of those hurdles is called the earnings test. And it is really a major problem. So if you're still making good income, then you have to defer it. But those are dynamic variables. And by, again, using tools, we can put those dynamic variables into a matrix, again, kind of like that Rubik's cube and come up with a solution. But Peter, your question is good. You, You do need to go through that. And I would say, in the retirement income planning process, that's step number one. Because again, the magnitude of this benefit, as Charlie pointed out, from a capital equivalency perspective, is so big, that if you mess that one up, all of the other decisions are going to be out of whack relative to your social security decision. So step one, let's figure out a combination of a plan that looks good to maximize social security that's unique and specific. And you can't put a blanket statement on this. It's unique and specific just to the client or the husband and wife in this particular situation. So what we want to do is get that one nailed down. And once we've got that nailed down, looking at again, size of the benefit, longevity assumptions, again, currently working as some sort of inflation rate. Once that's nailed down, we can then make other decisions that will supplement our resource. So it kind of gets us back to that three-legged stool, You know, how long and how powerful are they all going to be one to the other. But, but, again, the back to that transmission sort of interconnected gear analogy, these are absolutely related and should never be made in a vacuum. You've got to do them together and sort of see the dynamics of one versus the other. Does that help with that?
1: Certainly. And and I guess to that point, how important is it for one to review? And has there ever been errors in the amount of reported <laughs> earnings that they've received right, or that is recognized on their statement itself?
3: Well, we have discovered that there are, in fact, opportunities to question the earnings statement. On the back of the full statement that you download from a My Account on socialsecurity.gov, there is a short synopsis of your contributions or your earnings history. It's not every year, but it's a good synopsis. And what folks are inclined to do is just uh, do I really need to check that? You know, I guess it's right. But in bold print on the back of that form, the Social Security Administration itself says, oh, by the way, Peter, if you find an error, why don't you give us a call? Well, they didn't do that by accident because there are mistakes made in that earnings history. But here's the thing that I think everybody needs to take away from this podcast is it's not an unlimited window of forgiveness. It lasts for three years, three months, and 15 days. And if the error isn't discovered within that window, it's going to be in the government's favor. And it means it's potentially going to reduce the retirement check from the social security system. So I think, and Peter and Charlie, we both, when we visit with clients, we say everybody, and I mean everybody, needs to be downloading their social security statement and at the very least checking that earnings history. Because if there is an error, That means in the thirty-five year average, you could be seeing less money than you have actually paid for. So, yeah, great point, good question.
2: Yeah, and I'm uh, going back to the planning points. I'm I'm amazed sometimes when we go through this, David, with clients, and you use this heat map, which is really cool. And yeah, you know, unfortunately, you know, we we can't do the visual today, but certainly you can reach out to us, and we can send it to you, or, or we can set up some time with David. That that if you do claim early because you think you want to get your money you know, quickly as possible, but you live a long life. You're talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars oh, yeah. potentially that you're leaving on the table. Yeah, I mean, it's life. That's life
3: changing. Yeah, it really is. And, and where the shortfall occurs is at the end when people are 65, 66, 67, they've got the ability to go back maybe into the workforce or capture assets from different places where, this, where the rub comes and where the difficulty becomes is now someone's 85 or 86 or 87. And you know, another $20,000 a year for someone in that age category could be the difference between a real high quality of later life or one that's dependent now on children or, or help from others. So... We want to see where we want to emphasize the benefit. Do we want to put the benefit at the back of the model or at the beginning of the model, which kind of leads us to the other discussion, is that when should people take benefits from Social Security? Do you think that's a good transition? Sure. <laughs> well, let's try that one. There are two really good reasons to take benefits early. One is your health isn't that good. And two is you need the money. Now the window of opportunity opens at 62 and it closes at 70. that's the choice time and there's nothing wrong with taking benefits early those are very defensible legitimate reasons to start benefits early uh, major health issues and i've had all kinds of them come up as we visit with clients all over the country uh, for different physical reasons but i've also had lots of folks and charlie Peter, we've had together folks that quite frankly, they could use the income because they got furloughed, laid off, we've had pandemics that have interrupted earnings histories. Those are all good reasons to tap into that Social Security safety net and use that money. But generally, if you can defer to full retirement age or later, that's when the power of the Social Security system really begins to show. Uh, and for those who have longevity like I do in my life, that means deferral makes an awful lot of sense
2: david some some specific things that come ac- that we come across quite often it's a little bit more complicated sometimes to figure out. The, the first is when there's a big age disparity between husband and wife. Mm-hmm. you know the the planning this, the, the special planning that goes into that to because there's different factors, as you say. Sure. Um, And when there's such an age disparity, sometimes it makes that decision a little bit more complicated.
3: Yeah, it does. It's almost as if you're filing individually. But remember, there is an important part of the social security system. And these are, I call them, I don't call them ancillary benefits, but I call them benefits to begin with S. There's a spousal benefit and a survivor benefit. Now, those sound like same words and are often confused but the truth is they're totally different (laughs) spousal benefits are paid when both people are alive right survivor benefits are only paid after somebody leaves us and when you have an age difference a lot of times you make a decision not so much for you but that survivor who's going to be coming after and if i want to put longevity in place and take care from a legacy perspective that payment to a life partner who's younger, that's one set of variables you have to figure into the process. Uh, on the other hand, when you have this huge age discrepancy, uh, we know that the younger people, and I've seen, you know, 20-year age differences in married couples, when you have that big of a spread, it's almost as if you're planning individually. I don't know if that's the experience you've had or not, but that's one that I've had.
2: Yeah, yeah, I think you're almost forced to in the age discrepancies that's significant. Yeah, yeah, they really are. Another more complicated topic with Social Security is taxes. Yes. Um, And I think people are very confused on how to figure out how my Social Security is taxed.
3: That is another very timely subject as we're coming up on income tax time this year. You know, the interesting thing in 1980, Eighty-three, when that Greenspan Commission restructured the entire Social Security program. One of the ways to pay for it, remember prior to that, benefits were tax-free. They didn't pay income tax on Social Security, but coming out of that committee, they said, well, we, we've sweetened things up here a little bit. We've got to take care of these pesky baby boomers, uh, and we've got to make sure that there's going to be enough money in the system. So why don't we augment our funds with income tax on the benefit, because you're not paying income tax on the employer's contribution. I mean, that's sort of off the tax records, and that's 6.2% of your income. So maybe we ought to charge some income tax for that. And we've now lived with that since 1984, and the benefits started to be collected in 1985, uh, in a kind of a bizarre formula is called combined income. Now, this was a term of art that was new to the tax code in 1984, 1985. Half of your social security plus untaxed interest on like a municipal bond and adjusted gross income. That's, that's called combined income by definition. And if you add all that up, you could subject yourself based on certain threshold amounts to income tax on your benefit aha. But here is the interesting scenario. Those threshold amounts, which for a married couple is $44,000, those are not being indexed inside the system. Like many of the IRS formulas, which are indexing certain threshold amounts, for example, 2024, we're indexing The amount of the standard deduction, which would make some sense. Inflation comes along, you increase those deductions. There's indexing points, but the threshold amount on Social Security is not being indexed. And that's what develops what I call exposure to a stealth tax. So, Charlie, what in the world do I mean by stealth tax, right? Well, that's one that you didn't really think about. And it sort of happens in the dark (laughs) over there in the corner where all of a sudden you get an increase in income. And that could be because of an RMD that comes off a qualified plan. It could be because the COLA increases from Social Security uh, are pushing your income up and the bracket's not changing. So therefore, let's just take this example at 44000 or more, you're now reporting 85% of your Social Security income as if you were working, It's just like earned income. You're not taxed at 85%. I want to clearly make sure everybody understands that. But you're reporting it at 85% and taxed at whatever bracket you happen to be in at the time. Maybe it's 15, maybe it's 20, or maybe it's a little bit higher. But for most married couples that have substantial income coming from Social Security, it's going to be exposed to income taxation. And again, the higher your income, because the brackets aren't being indexed, means that more and more would be exposed to that income taxation. But, Charlie, let me ask you a question. If you compare the Social Security payment to a distribution from an IRA, traditional IRA, how much of that traditional IRA are you reporting as income? Pretty easy question, right? All of it. Yeah, all of it, right? But that distribution from Social Security would never be reported at 100%. Mm -hmm. It would be reported at 85 or possibly less. So let's suppose you're ambling into the grocery store one day and you've got this IRA dollar in your hand, uh, which you have to report all of it. And you've got this social security dollar in your hand where the most you would ever report is 85%. Doesn't the social security dollar have a buying power advantage over a dollar in an IRA? I don't know. What do you think?
2: Yeah, no, I I think this is a great way to look at it. And again, why? Social security planning cannot be looked at too or taken too lightly. There's just so right. many factors that go into it can make a huge difference about your retirement.
3: And, and Charlie, to, to that point, it could suggest that maybe you need to be using qualified money as a way to defer taking an early distribution from social security. Because if you're using qualified money, that might help you in a couple ways. It might reduce ultimately the RMD requirement of that qualified block or more importantly, unless you buy some increases. And let's talk about those increases for a second. Now that magic age for social security is full retirement age. Benefits taken prior to that are gonna be reduced actuarially around 6% a year down to age 62. Ah, but if you wait past full retirement age, you're then earning something called a delayed retirement credit. And the simple math on that, two-thirds of 1% a month, that's 8% per year, simple interest based on the FRA, full retirement age amount. So think about this one. Let's suppose, Charlie, you got one of your clients at $3,000 a month. If you showed them an investment that was essentially risk-free, and offer them an opportunity to increase it by 8% per year, would they be interested in that idea?
2: I think they'd jump on it.
3: Yeah. And that's the advantage that that delayed retirement credit comes in. Remember, it's not just 8% per year because that 8% raises the tide, but then the cost of living benefit comes in on top of that, which we just finished a year where it was 8.7%. So that's a 16.7% lift at one year. I mean, how do you do that with no risk? I don't know. You guys are wizards, but that's a We're top- not that good. We're not <laughs> that good.
2: Uh, David, as I said, this is a topic we could go on for hours. Uh, and I started this saying, you're our secret weapon. And I think anyone listening to this can understand why. So we'd like to have you back because I'm I do. going to solicit, Peter and I are going to solicit questions from our client base and we'd love to have you back and answer some of the most pressing questions that our clients have if you're up for that
3: yeah I would I'd love to do that and you know the interesting thing you learn so many things about what's going on in people's lives with these discussions and everybody is different the one thing you could take away from our discussion today is that if one of your clients goes to the family picnic and uncle Lou at the family picnic says oh This is the way I did it. This is what I think is the right answer. That's probably absolutely not what you should do. (laughs) There there is no way you can apply a sort of standard rule of thumb strategy to a Social Security claiming strategy. It must be, and we've, again, used this with clients, a hand-tailored suit, custom-fit dress it must be done specific and unique to the individual and, or more importantly, the couple, uh, because these dynamics, one affects the other. And it's absolutely interesting because you've already paid for the benefit. I mean, it's not a question of funding. You've been paying a substantial amount of your income into the system for a 35-year period of time. And now, why don't we make the best of it? Doesn't that make sense? Why leave money on the table if it's already been paid for? So that's what's fun. And I would love to do this again.
2: Yeah, that's great advice. And we'd love to have you back. Yeah. And, and we encourage we encourage anyone listening. For our clients, most of them have already done a call together with David. If For those clients listening who haven't, please reach out to Peter or myself. We'd love to set it up. And for those of you who are not clients yet, please reach out if we can be assistance
1: on the Social Security or any other any of your other planning needs well i'd like to add that you know social security i know dave you mentioned it's certainly like trying to solve a rubik's cube and, and definitely frustrating so to all our listeners you have really one of two choices you could either take that rubik's cube and and peel off the stickers like i used to do and try to put it back together and we all know how that looks or you could reach out and lean on experts uh, by reaching out to our office at 631-777-1030 or visit us at com. All right. And as you've heard, social security can mean a huge difference in your retirement lifestyle. Make it work for you. Ask Charlie and Peter all your questions. Follow this podcast for more usable information and of course, share it with others. And thanks for being with us.
0: Thank you for listening to your Pathways to Wealth podcast. Click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. Visit our website at Wealth Enhancement Group or give us a call at 1-800-492-1222. And don't forget to click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available.